Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I've got a fantastic episode for you today, but before we get started, I want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Certified Piedmontese. Now, it's common to hear the phrase, fat is flavor. I know I've said it more than a few times, and often it holds true. But that's just not the case with certified Piedmontese. Piedmontese beef is far leaner than most breeds, which actually allows you to taste the incredible rich flavor of the beef instead of just fat. Plus, it's good for you. Certified Piedmontese beef maintains prime grade tenderness with just a fraction of the fat, calories, and saturated fat. Trust me, for someone who eats out as much as I do, it's nice to get a break from the gut bomb meals. If you're ready to savor steak or burgers without feeling weighed down for the rest of the day, head to Piedmontese.com and save 25% off on your order with my promo code HOPPEN. That's my last name, H-O-P-P-E-N, on Piedmontese.com or over the phone at 1-800-414-3487. Certified Piedmontese proves fat and flavor don't have to go hand in hand. And now for today's guest. We're going to take a quick detour outside of Omaha today, make a quick trip down to downtown Lincoln for one of my favorite restaurants in existence. And this is a fun episode because there are some really cool parallels going on right now. My guest today is Nick Maestas of Muchachos, and he likes to tell me that I was one of his first customers when Muchachos first opened its food truck uh, in the summer of 2017. Now, that fact remains unconfirmed. I think he might just be buttering me up a little bit, but I have documented proof that he was the second chef slash restaurant owner to come on the podcast back in 2019, back when I had no idea what the show was going to be, back when it had no credibility with chefs or restaurant owners, and Nick was willing to come on still. I'm still thankful for that moment, and I'm thankful that he's back today. Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, hey, Dan. What's up, man? Thanks for having me back. No, and you were, I remember we were a little late on our first morning, as most food truckers are, (laughs) and I remember you were sitting there waiting as we were pulling up. I'm like, holy crap, like Dan Hoppin is there waiting to eat our food. There was zero pressure. And by zero, I mean there was all the pressure. (laughs) And um, because I knew you were going to post about it. And I'm like, well, shoot, we got to we got to step it up. So and you rocked it. Yeah, I I still remember it. And I'm still waiting for you to bring the toast out as back working on it someday, someday. someday. But you also have hatch Mac burritos now. So you've stepped your game up. You've you've been okay in that regard. And we're going to get to that. Yeah, but I I just I just want to start with kind of like an overall view of muchachos, which is really it is blossomed from that first day that you were just talking about into one of Lincoln, and I would even say Nebraska's hottest the most popular restaurants. And then we might have some exciting Omaha news coming soon. We'll get to that later. (laughs) But first, I just want to kind of roll out the red carpet for you and provide an introduction to muchachos. For anyone, let's say someone's coming in totally blind listening to this. They haven't experienced muchachos. Maybe they haven't even heard of it. How would you describe it to them? Yeah, so we are an interesting blend of the flavors in New Mexico. So hatch chili primarily. So the red chili, the green chili, the Christmas style. For those who haven't been in New Mexico, they, you know, you can order your enchiladas Christmas style. And so we wanted to bring that hatch chili, the flavors that I grew up eating, um, to Nebraska and find a way to mix it with the flavors that, or the food that I enjoy eating. And I loved barbecue. I was in a phase where, you know, I was uh, middle-aged, you know, going through some stuff, needed to find something to keep my hands busy. And so we started smoking meat and 
we found that combining those two flavors was really interesting and people really took to it. And so we sold like 200 of those pulled pork tacos in my garage for Eagle garage sale days, which is the hotness in, you know, 10 miles east of Lincoln. And um, people really took to it and we thought, okay, we have something here. And um, yeah, and then just kind of evolved. So we have smoked meat, uh, New Mexican flavor, meat um, <laughs> product, I guess. Um, and so we make our own like hatch chili queso, um, which we can do on nachos. We can do it in Mac. Um, but we want it to be a barbecue joint that does it differently than any others that you'll find in Nebraska. Well, that's the thing that amazes me about muchachos is you hear the name. And I think most people, if, if you ask them, what is muchachos, they would say it's a taco or it's a burrito place first and foremost. But that meat really, to me, is what stands out. The brisket, the pork, the chicken. To me, I would argue those are better than you'll find at most just strictly barbecue restaurants, which is incredible because you guys obviously do some creative and fun things with yeah. it too. Uh, you got into this a little bit, but where did that love for smoking meats and how? where did that come from and how did you really develop your craft at that? So I kind of, I, I know it's going to sound corny, but I would all to Twitter. So there, <laughs> really? Yeah, there were a Twitter bunch Twitter did a good thing? Twitter did a great thing. You know, it, it, it is what you put into it, I suppose. This but, is true. Um, you know, there were a group of us guys that were always chatting on Twitter and um, a couple of them were smoking meats and I was starting to dabble a little bit. And so we started playing around with it and we would meet up at one of the, the local beer halls there in Lincoln and... You know, I would smoke something, they would smoke something, we'd bring it together and kind of share stories on how we did it and what we did and um, what we could do better and what we learned. And um, that's kind of how I grew as a pit master, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it, but um, that's how I grew in that. And, you know, the more I did it, the, the more I loved it. And, you know, I'd, um, you know, try to impress my family with it and friends and take it to work and people were really digging it. And, um People were like, you should, you should sell this. And so we, we, we tried and, um, man, it's just so much fun to do. Like it, it is a work, like you have to, you have to have patience and you have to make sure that, you know, you're growing and you're like, oh, I got this figured out. No one in barbecue has it fully figured out. Um, if they do, they're full of crap. I think. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, just, it gave me something to do. Um, when I was really struggling with my grandfather's loss and, it got to the point where, you know, I, I really, really just enjoyed it and felt um, like I was using my free time in a productive way. Mm -hmm. What is, do you think, as you leveled up your barbecue game, what's the most important thing you learned or maybe the the top like aha moments of where you figured out something that where it was like, okay, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a home barbecue guy to I could potentially make like a business out of this. Yeah, no, um... I think maybe the most controversial thing that I would say through all this, and I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback on the professionals, but, um, you know, I don't take temperatures. I mean, obviously I want to make sure it's food safe. Um, <laughs> but when you get that, that pull apart tender stuff, you know, you're way past that. I mean, you're, you're super safe with the temps, but, um, everyone says two or three is the magic number with barbecue. I fully disagree. It is based on like that particular cut and how that cut acts with the heat. And so if you can put it in, you know, you take a probe and it goes in like butter and pulls out, it is, it's done. If it doesn't, then you keep going and you have to have that patience. And 
like I said, I know that that's not a popular take in these circles, but um, I don't go by temp. I go by, you know, is that particular cut of meat done? And if not, you keep going. Mm -hmm. So, Well, I had it described to me as uh, by another barbecue restaurant owner here in Omaha. He was like, every cow and every pig is, is not the same. Nope. So why would you try and cook it the exact same right. way? Some are fattier than others. Some are leaner. Some are larger. Like It doesn't make sense to just have one uniform cooking method or cooking time or whatever with every yep. single one. So much of it is off feel. So feel validated oh, off you. of that. You're not the only one who <laughs> believes that. Okay, next menu item that we have to get into. You guys have become famous, partially famous, for the Hatch Mac burritos, yeah. which are amazing. Where did the idea for that Hatch Mac and Cheese come from, especially like at a taco and barbecue joint? Like, I guess Mac and Cheese is a popular side dish, but for that to become kind of a star of the menu, how, how did it come to be? Well, we wanted to be, we wanted to provide some, we wanted to be different, essentially, and find funky and fun ways to do different things. And um, we were in a particular state of mind one evening. And we thought, how do we mix, you know, what can we do? What if we put this in a burrito and smoked meat and tried it? And and it was a knockout, I mean, from day one. And it has become our top selling item, I mean, by far. Um, you know, we added the pipeline, and then I'm sure you'll want to talk about that, but um, it's double the sales of the pipeline on a day-to-day -day basis. And, man, just so much fun. It's my favorite item outside of the breakfast stuff, but um, just the way that the creaminess of that mac – um, cuts through, you get that meat and then you add salsas and stuff. And man, I just, I really, truly love it. I think it's such a fun and unique thing. And, you know, you see other people doing it with barbecue sauce and stuff, but I think barbecue sauce gets, it overpowers every other flavor in there. It's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So I think the way we do it is really, really unique and fun and different. Yeah. I, it, it is absolutely incredible. I would encourage anyone who goes to muchachos, get well, actually, the first time I'd recommend just getting a two or three meat plate just yep. to experience the meats themselves, like we talked about earlier. They're so great. And then the next time you go, get the Hatch Mac burrito with brisket. It will change your life, and you will be a better person for it. <laughs> okay, you mentioned the pipeline. So we yeah. got to talk about the Epic Pipeline burrito. Now, yep. for anyone who hasn't encountered this or heard about it, muchachos actually – worked with eight different members of the Nebraska offensive line, which is where the name Pipeline comes from, to develop this burrito. It checks in at over four pounds of brisket, chicken, pork, rice, beans, cheese, slaw, and crema. I think I'm getting everything there. Cr crushed up chips. Too. Oh, and crushed up yep. chips. How dare yep. I forget? How dare you? I'm a terrible person. <laughs> so it is, it is an absolute just like boss of a burrito, and it is bigger than some newborn babies, I think. How many people have successfully eaten this behemoth in one sitting? You know, I think most of most of the people that come in do finish it. Um, wow. They're not leaving very happy. <laughs> I mean, they're happy because they're fed, but they're, they're, if they have to go back to work, I feel for them. Oh, no. No productivity <laughs> is happening the rest no. of the day based off that. <laughs> no, we had, um, you know, we've had some, some dudes that are, like, super thin – tall finish it in like seven minutes oh my god one sitting yeah it That's was insane very impressive i think they biked there though so they had some calories to burn but um yeah it is a beast you know we when we had uh when we had the the offensive linemen in to shoot it they all had brunch before they came in oh gee and then they all finished it 
And I think I think Cam uh, Jurgens came in at around five minutes or so. Goodness um, he, he just he, he's Nebraska's it. center for yep. those who aren't uh, huge Nebraska football yeah. fans, which for you right now is not a bad thing. <laughs> but, but yeah, five, five minutes finishing that burrito, whether you've eaten something that day or whether yep. you've come in fasting for three days is unbelievable. Um, and of course that it, it, it kind of plays into the whole, uh, name image likeness thing. Yep. So actually those guys that helped develop that burrito, they get a portion of the sales that come out of that, which I think is so cool. Um, I would love for you to just kind of get into the background and we can get into it deeper later, but just how did that relationship with those guys come to be? How did the pipeline burrito, uh, like what is its Genesis? I guess. So we had, um, we have a really great relationship with the university, with the athletic department and especially with the football team. And we've just served those guys so many times over the last few years that you get to know them. And, um, when NIL became law of the land, I just kind of jokingly tweeted out, all right, all right, guys, who wants to come on team muchacho? And I kid you not, man, I probably had about 50 DMS that day from athletes, not just in Nebraska, but all around the country. I mean, like Alabama cornerbacks and Notre Dame safeties and <laughs> all these people. I don't think they were household names by any means, but they were people that wanted to break in. And, um, you know, uh, Brock Bando is one of the guys that, reached out and said, Hey, we should do something. I said, absolutely. And, you know, we wanted to do something with, um, with Nori, but unfortunately with his, um, visa being from Germany, he couldn't do anything, but, um, yeah, we just kind of got together and talked about how we can do something super interesting, super unique, um, and try to get some extra cash in their pockets. And, um, you know, we kind of talked about the menu, how they wanted to develop it. Um, it had to be worthy of the pipeline name for sure. So we thought, what about this just ridiculously massive burrito? And I kid you not, man, we can barely close this thing. Like um, when we were on Taste of the Town, I made it a little too big, and I literally could not close it. So, um, you know, it, it's really fun to do. It's really fun to see people tackle it and um, people coming in from out of town saying they saw it on TV and they wanted to give it a try because they saw, you know, Todd Blackledge have it and whatever. And it, it, it's been it's been really fun. I imagine one of the most fun parts for you is just when you make one of those and someone orders it and they have an expectation of what it's going to look like. And then you bring it out to the table and you just see their face because even in the few times I've been in and I've seen people order it, like you set it down in front of them and their eyes just get big (laughs) and then the cell phone camera comes out and then they're like picking it up and trying to like weigh it in their hands. It is, it truly is a thing to behold. So if if you're feeling up for a challenge, people go and try and take on the pipeline. It is a meal and then some. It's it, it is fun, you know, and I love the fact that we're putting some money in their pockets that mm-hmm. they um you know, that they're getting some some great brand awareness out of this as well. Um I don't know, it's just NIL is such a game changer in um in business and restaurants specifically. I think it's great. And personally, I think not enough restaurants are taking advantage of it. Right. It. I mean, it's just an opportunity just sitting there yep. waiting to yep. be grabbed. Yep. Uh, and you're going to be doing some more things with – you've done some things with the volleyball team, I believe. Baseball's coming yeah. up. Like, you're, you're taking full advantage of it, man. Absolutely. And that, that's so smart. You it, know, uh, Nicolet Hames and I, we were, that was one of our first um, partnerships. And she came in, um, and they, they got a duo cup. It was, you know, one of each – it's like a heart-shaped cup, and you can get, like, one flavor on one side, another flavor on the other side. 
And she posted that on her Instagram. Next day, I think we sold 55, 60 of them. Yep. And, you know, just the reach that those athletes have. And um, it's been it's been really fun. Mm-hmm. And we'll get back to the, the pipeline burrito later because I want to talk a little bit more about that. But first, I want to get into the backstory of Muchachos. Um, this is a restaurant that is heavily rooted in family, especially your grandparents. They were very, very important to you. And um, something that we talked about on the first episode, and it's something your website mentions now, that cooking the foods that you grew up eating brought you closest to the people that you've lost. Can you just kind of break down how family helped mold muchachos originally and then form it into what it is today? Yeah, no, I, you know, my grandparents were, they were it for me. You know, my mom had me super young, 18 years old, and um, she was out still learning life. And I can't imagine having a kid at 18 and the stress that she was under to try to support, uh, you know, a kid and try to grow in, in herself. And so she was out working. I was home with my grandparents a lot. And um, I just remember sitting at their table, um, this brown, old, cheap table, and these tortillas would show up on the middle of the table and, and quickly. And I don't know how the hell she did it, but <laughs> she would just fly. I mean, she would roll them herself. She would throw them on the skillet bring them back and there would be just in a matter of minutes 20 tortillas sitting on the table and they were so hot and buttery and and just you know you I just remember you know we didn't use forks we used tortillas that was how I grew up and you know we would have beans and eggs and potatoes and green chili on the table and um man that was just home like when I think about home I think about that and um man I miss it every day and when when my grandma passed, I was young. I was like 13 years old. And um, my grandfather passed about nine years ago. And when that happened, man, I, I just turned into a, a, a terrible human. Um, you know, I was a bad husband, bad dad. Um, I just was not handling or grieving very well. And I needed to find a way to, <laughs> you know, to, to fix that, to break out of it. And one day we just, you know, we were craving enchiladas at home. It's what, you know, my grandparents were famous. I mean, they would have garage sales and sell thousands of dollars of enchiladas and like $20 in clothes. Um, <laughs> so it's what they were known for. And I was craving that. And, and we did it in the process of rolling out tortillas, the process of making the red chili, you know, covering it, heating it, and then having it on the plate in front of you was therapeutic. It was more, it was it was worth more than any session with a therapist could have ever done for me. And I just continued doing that and got into the rhythm where I started making more of the stuff that they grew up serving to us. And I felt better. Like my heart was eased and um, started breaking out of that funk because of that. And I craved it. It became a drug to me. Like I wanted to do more of that I wanted to have that feeling more um, because it felt better than the alternative. And yeah, and so, you know, it got to the point where they said I was taking the food to work and people were enjoying it and started doing more and more of that. And, you know, it got to the point where like, maybe we could sell this stuff. And, and now, yeah, I mean, I still have my days, but, you know, having him plastered, you know, on our logos, on our wall, um, you know, having the old family pictures in the restaurant, it um, it brings me home. And I, I'm, I, when I walk through those doors at Muchachos, I'm, I'm going home every day. 
Well, and like you talked about last time, even the name itself, that comes from your grandpa yeah. and how he would answer the phone. He'd say, yo, muchacho. Yep. Like, so much of the restaurant just represents your family and specifically your, your grandparents. And yeah. that is so cool. And I think that's that's a probably a big part of the reason why the restaurant has been so successful is not only because of the things that they taught you and, and seeing those tortillas be made, but because family is such a like it's the backbone of it you need it to be successful to make those people proud and to represent them well right no i mean i I, yeah sure i want that but i don't think that's the end goal for me you know i think that's a product of it right okay Um, but not necessarily um you know because we never expected any of this this was not (laughs) (laughs) you know we didn't draw out a five-year plan and say you know okay let's open a restaurant in you know four years of a food truck and all that. I mean, none of that, none of the success um, was ever really even a blip on the radar. You know, it was more for my healing purposes and any bonuses that have come from that have truly been a bonus. Gotcha. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that kind of the idea to start doing this professionally came when you made a bunch of, uh, a bunch of pork tacos and, and they went over like gangbusters yeah. How did you move from that to, hey, let's open a food truck. Like, let's actually do this. So I know that this is going to sound super stereotypical, and um, but I watched the movie Chef on Netflix one day. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just home with a sick kid or something, and it popped up. And, you know, he opened a food truck and seeing how much fun that was, how fun that process was, that I just kind of went on Facebook Marketplace and kind of Googled a few things. Or, you know, I, I searched for a few things to see – um, what was out there. And I found one in St. Louis that was the color of my grandparents' house. So I'm like, well, shoot, I have to, I have to move forward with that. I have to try it. And so, um, we kind of put a plan together to, to bring that baby home and we did. And, um, I mean, the rest is kind of history, honestly, like it, we didn't know what we were doing. We still don't really know what we're doing. Um, no one knows what they're doing. No we're all faking it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, but we, we have fun in the process when we're doing it and, I probably dream a little bigger than most people, uh, than I probably should, honestly. But yeah, but that's it. Now, the first time you came on the show, you you mentioned watching Chef mm-hmm. and said that I had to watch it because I hadn't seen it at that point. Yeah. I've since seen it, and now I'm convinced that that is a completely accurate representation of exactly <laughs> how opening a food truck goes. You just decide you're going to open one, you clean out a really bad food truck, yeah. in in one day, fix it up. <laughs> drive across the country and become a huge success. That's basically it, right? No, absolutely. Like, you don't need to, you, you just permits magically show up and, you know, you can park in Miami Beach with little to no time. Whatever. Yeah. It, it is a very fun movie uh, with, with John Favreau. I would recommend people check it out, but maybe not the most accurate representation Correct. of what the lifestyle is really like. Uh, but now, you know what, though? But I will say that the fun that they have in there is is that's legit pr- pretty spot on i mean you have music going you're putting food together you see the lines out the window and and that's the fun that you have like when you watch that movie like that's the stuff that you see and you're like okay i kind of want to get into that and that stuff is pretty i mean i mean i mean it is what it is but um if you take it at face value it is they do a great job of you know working together in the truck and seeing the lines out the window and seeing people happy um yeah 
Now, when you first started the food truck, you were doing it on a part-time basis, if I remember correctly. It was a nights and weekends type Mm -hmm. of deal. At what point did it become like, hey, (laughs) I I like my job, but I I love doing this food truck thing. I think I can do this full-time. So I had actually gotten a job in IT that I'd been wanting for a long time, and I, I fell in love with it. I loved what I was doing at the at the last place I was at. And, um, you know, of course, then the numbers, you know, I'm starting to look at the sales numbers and how much money um, is in our bank account. And like, okay, this is, this is awesome. Like, I want to do this. And it got to the point where we were making more money on the food truck than we were in my IT job. But I was putting in 80, 90, 100 hours a week doing both. And I was kind of half-assing both of them. Like, it it was a, you know, I need to either do this 100% or I need to do this 100% because it's 50-50 crap. It wasn't working. Um, and so made the decision to kind of quit my job and go full-time. And that was probably the scariest thing um, I have ever done. Um but also maybe the most rewarding because it took that belief in myself and our product to say, okay, this can support a family. Um, and so we made the jump and, you know, I, it's hard to regret it, man. I, and honestly, I don't know if I can go back to work for anyone else right now. I'm, I'm ruined. Like it's, it's so much fun. Um, kind of being my own boss and setting my hours and, um, the stress of it. Yeah. But man, it's, it's pretty great. You mentioned, you know, that there's there's that unknown. There's a there's fear that's connected with that because you're giving up something that is stable that that is known for the great unknown, which yeah. could be fantastic or it could be a colossal failure. Luckily, it was the former for you. Yeah. At which point, or when did you re- really feel like, yes, this was the right decision? I know that I made the right choice. Um, I would say about a year into food trucking solo or, um, you know, a year into food trucking as a full-time job, um, you know, looking back at the numbers of the year and seeing how many events I was able to do. Um, and then the type of, you know, the type of clients we were getting, we're getting, you know, it was bigger and bigger every week. And, you know, when we had developed a relationship with the athletic department and then we've had, you know, some other big corporations calling us. We knew we'd done something um, fairly, fairly right. <laughs> so, can you tell me about that relationship with the athletic department? Because, I mean, you see stuff on Twitter all the time. Nebraska assistant coaches, Nebraska players from all different sports are tweeting about muchachos. You know, they they come to the restaurant, they get it catered in. Yeah. I mean, it is very consistent. How did that relationship develop? Uh, you know, I don't know how it all really started. Um, we'd become friends with a few of the people in the athletic department um, just from like getting a tour. You know, I had a tour with a buddy and he um, recommended us to someone in the, you know, in the athletic department for a catering thing. And then, you know, we got one call from the football team and then we kept getting calls from the football team. And, um, you know, and then you get, you know, a coach will come in because they had it. And then you grow that, that relationship and, um, yeah, it just it was just a a slow process, but um, man, it it's paid off because a you you build great relationships and you see the other side of it. Like as a fan, you're sitting on the couch, you're like, oh that bum, or oh you did a heck of a job. But then, you know, you know these people, you know their hearts, and you know who they are. Um, 
And so when you see the stuff that happened over the last couple of weeks with Nebraska football, um, you know, that's that's been one of the harder things, that, you know. With the assistant coaches. Yeah, with the assistant coaches. Go, yeah, yeah that, that's been, I mean, honestly, it's been a bummer for me because, you know, um, I had a great relationship or have a great relationship with the running backs coach, former running backs coach. And, um, you know, it, you know, you know, their families, like we catered their birthday parties and stuff. And um, that's the stuff that really stinks because you get to know them and you get to know that they are great people. Um, so I kind of take, I don't know, I see people going on Twitter a lot and that's the bad, the bad <laughs> side the of, bad Twitter. Part of Twitter. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's hard not to take that stuff personally and go to bat for them because you're like, man, they are just great people. And maybe if you get to know them a little bit, you wouldn't bash them so hard. But Oh, yeah, I absolutely think that's true. And that's, you know, the, the interesting thing, especially with, I think, the the person who represents that best in Nebraska's program right now is Adrian Martinez. Absolutely. Is, people love to get on him so much, but he is also he I mean, he makes his mistakes to be clear sure. but he's also very productive and he is like the consummate professional such a off good the human field. being yeah incredible yeah but, such a great guy and you know they and they all are. i mean the majority of them are i i can't speak for all of them i don't know all <laughs> but um you know everyone that we've come into contact with has been such a, a great person and um we've been blessed to have that relationship at the university and the athletic department and um yeah, I'm I'm just ready to see that, you know, continue moving forward. Whoever's in the you know, in the coaches' seats. Um, you know, we just love I love Husker athletics. And mm-hmm. so being able to feed those guys is super fun for me. Mm-hmm. Get back to the restaurant. So the food truck is, is it's rocking and rolling. It becomes popular very quickly. And I think a big part of it is, you know, you mentioned that color, like just that pop of the, the bright blue is just, it's so visually arresting. And then people come try it and then they love it. And then they tell their friends that word of mouth is just, you know, so powerful. At what point did you start to think, okay, the food truck is killing it maybe a brick and mortar is our next step. You know, we, um, you know, cooking in the food truck is pretty difficult because you're pretty cramped, especially the the old food truck that we had. Um, but, uh, you know, we were, we weren't really looking for a restaurant. We were more looking for a kitchen, like a commissary. And Lincoln doesn't have like, you know, any of those commercial, you know, those commercial kitchens that they're renting out like they do in Omaha. And, we were truly just looking for a, a space to to cook. And we one location became open, and it was kind of always like in the back of my head, this is the vibe that I would want for muchachos. It just so happened to become available. So we're like, okay, well, maybe we could try to sell a few. I mean, the seating isn't big. It's probably 35, 40 at the most. So we could give it a shot. And, you know, if it doesn't work, worst case scenario, we still have a kitchen. And so... That's what we were move forward with, moving forward with, and little did we know what, you know, what would happen in signing that lease. It's been really fun. It's one of the most unique spaces for a restaurant. I think that I've been in, at least in the in the local area. It's kind of a long, skinny restaurant. It's got a bar. You guys serve coffee. You serve alcohol there's all kinds of colorful designs and artwork everywhere you've got um you know your your grandpa you've got artwork of him up on the wall you've got a video game in there i think you said that people can come in and play like mario kart and stuff if they want to as you lease out this space and you're starting to build it out how did the personality of the restaurant take shape really um you know i 
none of this stuff happens without an amazing team. And so we've had great partners with, you know, Meta Coffee Lab is our coffee partner. Delicious coffee. Amazing Love stuff. that place. And Mike is just such a great dude, and he is a mad scientist when it comes to coffee. So I knew I needed to have him uh, as a partner moving forward. And um, so we have, you know, really great coffees, and we can divulge into that later. But, um, you know, we I knew I needed to have really cool art. I wanted to have it be a really funky spot. And I was working with, um, in one of my old marketing jobs, um, um, a couple designers that are really blowing up. Um, cold-hearted co, her name is uh, Allie Lang. Oh, well, she's married now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, you know, I kind of mentally spewed my sick brain <laughs> onto her. And she took she took all that and put it into this beautiful mural. And a great design, which I feel like captured the essence of Muchachos really, really well. And so, you know, she gets all that credit, um, her and Emma and, and Kate Meyer, they did such a good job of, of taking my vision and putting it into, um, putting it onto the walls of Muchachos. And it's such a cool spot. At the end of the day, we wanted that place to be a spot where we would want to go hang out. Um, and it's hard for me to leave there. I love going in in the morning and half the time you got to pull me away because I really love being in there. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I mean, you, you had the food truck, so you knew that the product was good. You know that people liked it, but it's one thing to go from that food truck environment into running a full-scale restaurant. Let's just start here. What was the feeling like the first day you unlocked those doors and opened for service? Honestly, I don't really remember. Um, it was such a crazy, crazy day. Um, we had, <coughs> excuse me, we had, um, did like a little friends and family soft open and that turned into just an insane morning, um, where we had people out the door, a line down the street. Um, we didn't really know what to expect. And, you know, I'm a first time restaurant owner. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> no clue. And, um, you know, I think. You know, we, we tried to let people know, like, hey, have a little bit of grace with us um, because, I mean, it was always just kind of me and a couple family members, and that was that was it. Um, now we have, you know, 10 to 15 people that we're trying to organize, trying to, you know, teach not only the recipes, but then how do we expedite, and we're learning this stuff all, along the way too. And so um, I think being open during COVID was probably a benefit for us because we got to fail early on when not a lot of people were in. Um, so that I think, you know, as much as you hate everything that's happening for us, it really helped us out to, to work out some kinks when we were slower. And then, you know, as things change, you know, we were able to handle the, the growth a little bit better. Interesting. I've, I mean, it really is fascinating to me. Obviously COVID is a, terrible terrible thing that yep. has done so so much bad in this world but i've found when people come on this show there are like pot like little pockets of positivity yep. that have come up from it whether it's a home baker who has decided to you know embrace what she's doing and start selling her products or a cook on the line who had a dream for opening a pop-up and all of a sudden he has his free time and oh like now I'm going to actually turn that into a reality and I'm going to make this into a business. And you talking about like, this gave you an opportunity to 
instead of just getting overwhelmed by crowds, kind of work your way into it. I think it's it's fun to see, even in just the midst of terrible, terrible circumstances, there are like little things of positive. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. No. There, there's positivity, sure. like dandelions grow out of the cracks in the concrete. Right. And, you know, honestly, I think entrepreneurs or people with that spirit um, find ways to adapt. And and kind of my mentality through all that is um, pivot, pivot and grow. Um, you know, if you can't, you know, if you just sit still, you're going to be, you're going to be left behind. And I'd quit my job. I mean, a year prior, I was, you know, had a steady paycheck. And now all of a sudden, I'm getting ready to open a restaurant and the world shuts down. I mean, what else did you have to do? You had one option, and that was to pivot and find ways to become better at it. And, you know, we did the family meals where I'm, and I know this is kind of off topic, but. Oh, go for it. Man, that, the family meals, I think, really brought our name into Omaha more than I expected it to. Um, You know, we have people here that come to the restaurant solely because we delivered a meal of four for four to their front step in Omaha once a week. And that was probably one of the cooler things that came out of the whole COVID experience was really getting to meet people. And some of them I can call friends now um, just because we've developed those relationships over the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, that, that was one of the bigger things for us was delivering family meals, no delivery charge to your front door. So that way you could still get great food without leaving your leaving your house mm-hmm. all safely delivered yeah it was yep. it was awesome um we had one of those meals delivered to uh my brother-in-law and his wife and they still talk about <laughs> it it's yeah something that they still say thank you for so that was really special um so muchachos was it, it became a hit uh in the food truck during covid after covid like it was well established but things went to a whole new level uh, probably about a month, month and a half ago, during the first and second quarters of Nebraska's game against Michigan, which was televised on ESPN when, and you mentioned his name earlier, but Todd Blackledge, one of the analysts, started talking about the Muchachos burrito. I'm just going to just open it up. Just tell me the Todd Blackledge story. Sure. So um, it was a just a random Monday where my phone starts blowing up, and I don't know why, and um, – People are tagging muchachos in this, and I look at the original tweet, and Todd Blackledge, you know, the the color analyst for ABC ESPN, said, hey, I'm going to be in Lincoln. We're starting up Taste of the Town. Um, what local spots should we go to? And my phone all day was just constantly just pinging with, with people suggesting us, and, and just humbling to see that, first of all. Like, it was so, so cool to see. Um, and then, you know, Wednesday... Um, I get this DM from Todd Blackledge. He's like, hey, you know, I think we really want to move forward with muchachos. Would you have time tomorrow to sit down and, and chat? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm, let me check the schedule. <laughs> sure, yeah, okay. And so he comes in and, you know, we hook him up with a hatchback burrito and some sides. And, um, you know, we're just sitting talking as, as he's eating. And um, it's such a cool, cool, chill dude. Um, really, really enjoyed the whole process. And, He's like, okay, let's do this. Um, tomorrow, Friday, my camera guy will be over. He's going to shoot a bunch of stuff. I'll be in at 4. We'll, we'll shoot the segment, and uh, it'll air during the game. I'm like, holy crap. 
holy crap, like, I just remember going home, like, in tears. Like, this is, I wish my grandparents would have been here to see it. Like, that's, that. I think, more than anything else, like, I wish they could have seen it. So, you, <laughs> you go home, like, yeah. what do you do to prepare when you know that, I've got an ESPN analyst like this is going to be on ESPN yeah. during a primetime football game on Saturday. How, how do you even get yourself and the restaurant ready for that moment? You know, we this was not like none of this was planned. Like we didn't have the product set up. We didn't have the, you know, we didn't have the staffing. I mean, we weren't ready for any of this that came. And so it was more honestly like it was so freaking stressful. Because we had no idea what was about to hit us. And, I mean, we'd, we'd had a game day before, and it was busy. I mean, it was great. But that Michigan game was a whole nother level of just insanity. And so, you know, Friday at 5 o'clock, all the shooting, everything was done for. I mean, but we just had people coming in nonstop. And um, how we didn't run out of product that day, I, I'll never know. Um, but that's been... Yeah, and oh, and I guess then Saturday during the game, um, you know, the one of the assistants said, "Hey, you know, if you can have someone run a burrito by, at you know, the start of the second quarter, you know, we want to have food that we'll show on air during the game." Um, and so, <laughs> Todd had this great idea. He was like, "Okay, well, send me the pipeline burrito," and Sean McDonough, the the play by play guy, like. He's a little bit smaller of a dude. Send some street tacos or something. Say, you know, the pipelines for the big boys and, you know, the quarterbacks get the dare. The kickers get the dainty stuff. It was pretty funny. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so we delivered all this stuff. And, you know, to see my food on air um, during that game was it was just it. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It was pretty wild. Now, I know for, like, and this is obviously a bigger shoot, but, like, when Guy Fieri rolls into town for, like, a diner's drive-ins and dives, they have to shut the restaurant down for like yeah. a day. And he, you know, goes through, goes back into the kitchen and and they show him, you know, here's how we cook two or three of our favorite dishes, yada, yada. And then they stick around for another day and interview some customers and everything like that. That's a whole different level. But I do want to kind of get your, have you pull back the curtain a little bit. Give us like one detail of just the, food TV process that maybe you didn't expect or, or people wouldn't really think about as they watch that segment? Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of what, I think the, the, the placement of people through all that was, was pretty unique. Like, um, you know, and there's some things in the kitchen that, you know, we keep, I feel like we keep a pretty clean kitchen, but there's still some things, you know, you don't want people to see, like, you know, if you don't have a chance to clean your flat during the middle of a rush, you get, you know, you're just, you, your stations get dirty and um, that's stuff that you just don't want the camera to see. Yeah, you don't want that on national TV. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But um, yeah, that that was part of the stress of it, just making sure that our place was um, TV ready, presentable. And then, um, you know, making sure that people are sitting where they're supposed to and, um you know, we, they came at a time on purpose when we did not have a lot of people inside. Um, I think that was part of the reason just so we can, you know, semi-quiet. And um, So they had a bunch of our staff sitting down behind us. And actually, I was in the, you know, sitting with my back to it, which was pretty funny. But um, just that whole just that whole process of, you know, making sure, like, these little details are, um, 
are appropriate or not appropriate, but you know, they're, they're catching, you know, the story, the things that they're going to talk about and they're shooting it in order as they're going to talk about it and just how detailed they were. And I mean, such professionals, but then you get to know the guys, like they were, they were super, super fun. And they actually had us cater, um, the morning there, uh, during their pregame meeting, you know, they had us take a bunch of breakfast burritos and coffee over to them. And, um, you got to know the crew and they were just super fun and super chill. And, um, you know, meeting Molly McGrath and, and Todd, and I didn't get to meet Sean McDonough, but, um, you know, the rest of them were super, super awesome. So it was, it was fun. This is, I'm, I know this is a stupid question based off of just what I saw on social media and just common sense, but what happened to sales after that? I have to ask. Yeah, no, it's, it hasn't been the same sense, man. It's been, um, we've really, you know, and it happened during the time where people were still having their COVID weddings. And so, you know, when, when things kind of came back, um, everyone scheduled their weddings, especially during, you know, bye weeks. And they're just like, I don't care if there's a Husker game, we're going to get married. God darn it. And so we had weddings catered almost every weekend for two or three months during football season. And, um, you know, we didn't anticipate that type of growth. And we have one smoker that holds 250 pounds when it's gone. Like it's gone. Like we're a barbecue joint first and foremost, and so when you see places like Franklin Barbecue in Austin close at one o'clock, there's a reason for that. It's because they can only smoke so much overnight. And that's the same with us. And we got a lot of backlash on that. Um, like, oh, it's a marketing ploy for you guys to to close early so you can get build more demand. I'm like, that's not. No, we only have one smoker, bro. That's 250 pounds capacity. When it's gone, it's gone. And so... Um, that's, that was probably one of the biggest things we were selling out, but it was because we had to share our product between the food truck and the restaurant and the bigger the wedding, the less the restaurant got, you know? And so, um, but sales have been pretty, pretty insane since, um, you know, we've had to hire a couple people, um, because of this, we've had to, um, buy bigger equipment. We had to, um, schedule people at better hours, um, it's been a stressful, a stressful few weeks, if I can be honest with you. Um, just trying to make sure we're doing a right by our people and right by our customers, making sure we keep that same level of service that they expect when they come in, but also make sure that the food quality is where it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's been a growing opportunity for sure. I think that kind of leads into something else that I wanted to talk about in that I love following not only Muchacho's accounts on Instagram and Twitter, but your personal accounts because you are so open and vulnerable as an owner. Like, you, you'll you tell it like it is. If you guys hit a record day in sales, you'll get on there and say, like, thank you so much, everyone, for coming out. Like, I'm on top of the world right now. And if you guys have a slow day, you'll be like, hey, man, th- like, today sucked. Today, yeah. today wasn't fun. You, you'll You'll talk about your emotions and your anxieties. And I think that doing that gives muchachos such personality and such emotion it makes it three-dimensional you know it's more than just a restaurant when people come in they feel like they know you as the owner what made you make that decision to to be so open and honest with with both failures and successes sure um honestly i think at the end of the day like you know i kind of i developed some you know during the loss of my grandfather i developed some anxiety, some depression throughout all that. And I didn't know how to handle it. And 
you know, Twitter was always kind of my outlet for everything. And it kind of became a, you know, just a habit for me to be like, oh man, like this sucks. I don't know what to do. Um, and one day I had a couple of people in my DMs saying like, hey, like I appreciate how honest you are with this because I'm struggling with the same thing and I didn't think I could talk about it. And so, you know, I kind of learned that, you know, if my struggles, if my, you know, the things I'm going through, you know, if I can talk about that and people relate to it and it can help somebody, um, even if it's just one person, if I get all this shame for whatever I post, whatever, um, but if someone out there is like, you know, I, I'm feeling that too and they, and they don't feel alone in it, um, it's worth every minute of it, you know, bring it on. I, you know, I, I have nothing to hide. I mean, it's, I own a restaurant, I struggle with depression, anxiety, and, um, you know, I want people to know that they're not alone in this, and, you know, it kind of just turned into the restaurant side, too, like, you know, there are some things I obviously can't post anymore, I have to be a little bit more careful with what I say, um, but, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, I want I want people to see, like, you know, if the restaurant is not doing well, I want to humanize it almost because people can go out there like this weekend we had a couple one-star reviews from somebody and man it just it, i was in line at Haleya actually another <laughs> great food truck oh yeah me you know, grabbing some food from those guys and my phone you know two dings back to back and it's two one-star reviews and it just ruined me like i was just like what the heck like talk to me like what you know and so it i took a few minutes to compose myself a bit and you know, eventually just tweeted like, man, like I wish I would have had the opportunity to make things right with people. Like, and I think more than anything, if, if you know, to, to any of your subscribers, like if you ever go to a place and you're unhappy with it, just talk to the owner. Right. Like nine times out of 10, they're going to want to know about it and fix it because if they're reading about it on a one-star review, man, like what the hell, dude? Like how how can we fix that if yeah, we don't Yeah, the know damage about is done. They can't go back and retroactively <laughs> make things better. Yeah, no, exactly. And so, um, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was transparent with where I was and my feelings, and I didn't sleep that night, man. Like I, I, I hate that because I would have had the – if I would have had the opportunity to make it right, I absolutely would have. I would have comped their meal. I would have made it myself, you know, like I would have tried to make it right for them. Um, so, you know, that stuff, that stuff definitely hurts. And I want, like I said, if there's another restaurant owner that sees that and they are struggling with, you know, how to grow from those bad moments, you know, I want to be able to help on that front too. Oh mm -hmm. well, yeah. I, I think that it just, it provides a, a healthy view for, for both restaurant owners and for people. I think a lot of people would just look at muchachos and be like, man, they've got it so good. Like, just look <laughs> at how fast they've grown. And they would look at the ESPN thing and just be like, gosh, you know, they must just be killing it. And, and you guys are to be, to be perfectly clear, but there's also, you know, you mentioned there, there are struggles that come with that too. There's all of a sudden, you know, you've you've got to find a way to level up your game in terms of how much are we ordering? How many people do we need to hire? How many, uh, what kind of staff do we need to have at certain hours? Like, there are aspects to success that also bring on more struggles too. And I think that just being open and honest really helps so much in just a general overall understanding. So, I just want to say thank you for thank you for doing that. I think just as as one diner, I certainly appreciate it. Um, now we're we're getting up against the clock here, but I can't let you go without talking 
Omaha because mm. my my listener base, I would people whether you live in Omaha or Lincoln, this is a Grand Island. I don't care where you're listening from. This is a place worth driving to. And I've driven several times to Lincoln just to eat at this restaurant. I would do it again today if you guys were open, but we're not you're not open, open because you're open. here, yep. which is awesome. <laughs> um, but there is Omaha news, which I'm putting in quotation marks. Yeah. We've talked off the mics a good deal about what that might look like. I don't know what is official, what you're yeah. allowed to divulge, what you want to divulge, <laughs> but I'm just going to open it up and say whatever you want to say about an Omaha location, Nick. If I remember right, it. actually, I think the last time I was on, we were hinting at maybe opening a brick and mortar. Yes. If I remember right. Yes. So now we're at the point. It just feels right, man. It feels like this is the right place to be. Uh, at this moment, but um, nothing official yet, and I don't want to. I don't want to put anything out into the ether until ink is on paper. But um, there, a letter of intent has been sent to a potential landlord in in town, and it is not West Omaha. Um, no matter how many people tweet at me, it is not going to be in West <laughs> Omaha. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean we've got a potential spot where in a, in an up and coming neighborhood that um, we could be we could be a really um, it'd be great for us to be a, a part of this growth. Um, and you know, the, the amount of support that we get from Omaha has been amazing. And it honestly surprising to me just because, you know, we were at, um, gosh, where were we the other day? Oh, yesterday I went to Everett's. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fantastic. Oh place. my gosh. Those wings, those peanut wings. Mm-hmm. sauce. Oh my gosh. So good. Um, we were there yesterday and, and the guy walks up, he's like, here with muchachos, right? I'm like, how the hell do you know this? Like, like it was, it just, it, yeah, it's just pretty cool to see that the people know who we are here in Omaha. And, and so if we can be a part of this growing community and I, I see Omaha as such a great food place. Um, so if we can, uh, yeah, so it's, it's in the works, um, potentially two spots if this works out, Woo! potentially. So we'll, we'll see what happens. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, people, listeners, Follow uh, follow Muchachos on Facebook. Follow them on Instagram, Yo Muchacho. Also, just follow Nick Mesas, like we were just talking about. Like, you, you get the real restaurant scoop, but also you can stay up to date on what is potentially happening in Omaha. And even if, worst case scenario, stuff falls through in Omaha and it doesn't happen, get down to Lincoln. Get a Hatchmack burrito in your life. If you're feeling... Like, I don't need to do anything else for the rest of the day. <laughs> Try and take down a pipeline. See if you can do it in under six minutes or whatever the record is. Uh, but, Nick, I, I'm just – I'm such a fan of not only your restaurant and your food, but also just you as a person. You are just such a tremendous individual, and I thank you so much for coming back on the show. This was a true pleasure to have you well, on today. Dude, thank you so much for having us. We we love uh, restaurant hopping, and we're just uh, thankful to uh, to be a part of it. All right. Thanks all around, and that extends to you, listeners. As a reminder, don't forget to go to piedmontese.com and use my promo code HOPPEN. That's my last name, H-O-P-P-E-N, HOPPEN, to get 25% off your order. And as always, Omaha, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.